Welcome to Revenue Champions, I'm Alice. And I'm John. We interview leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs in the B2B space. Giving you the inside tips, tricks, and hacks for you to grow and scale your B2B business today. So welcome guys, welcome to today's episode of Revenue Champions. Today I'm joined uh, with Sam Nelson. So welcome to the podcast, Sam. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. No problem at all. Um, So Sam, anyone who's not aware of yourself, obviously being the SDR guru that you are, uh, do you just want to give a quick overview in terms of, um, yeah, your experience and, and what you do on day to day? Yes. Yeah, so my name is Sam Nelson, and I was one of the early SDRs at Reach. And so I got a kind of a cool inside look of kind of not only a good look of how to use Outreach, but also how Outreach uses their own tool. So I was an SDR for a year, did well as an SDR. I was a manager, managed managers for a while. And at this point, I spent most of my time doing kind of public facing things like this. And so I've gotten to see a, a lot of different kind of perspectives of how outreach uses outreach. And now I've, I've worked with hundreds of different outbound teams. So, but yeah, outbound with sequences is kind of my world. So I'm yeah, excited, excited to talk today about this. I was going to say, we do these relatively frequently, but you were definitely the person because we always do like a Slack chat and we post it out and say, does anyone have any questions? This was probably the one that has the majority of the team like nonstop messaging in. So um, you've obviously got a good, um, good influence over the SDR world. So yeah, Sam, I suppose, obviously I would love to know, like, how would you actually set up your SDR team at Outreach? Like what, what kind of infrastructure have you put in place? Because I see you guys as like one of the market leaders, so it'll be great to hear how you um how you how you actually how you actually integrate that. Yeah. Okay. So, well, I would say that this depends a little bit on where you are as a company. Mm. I mean, I hate to say it depends, but but really, every company is different. For us, like at this point, we have a pretty sizable team. We have like seven SDRs, and we want to be at like ninety, so a very big team. And we have it divided up into segments. So um, we've got our We've got our SMB team, we've got a commercial team, we've got our enterprise team, and then we've got a strategic team. And then one thing, actually one thing that's unique about us that would apply to a lot of companies is we actually have a specific team for onboarding SDRs. That was when I first became a manager, we started this team, we called it the Agoji team, where all new SDRs went onto the same team. And they had one manager that was specifically over those first 90 days. And we tried that out as an experiment. It works well. We now have multiple Agoji teams. And it's we've been doing that for, what, three, three four years now. So, um, yeah. So that's kind of one unique setup. But other than that, I mean, we've got teams for specific segments. And we divide inbound and, and outbound out. So. Interesting. So yeah, looking specifically at the onboarding SDRs, it's quite a quite a unique thing. Like, what is their KPIs in place? Is it strictly do you, when you put the new reps onto onto this program? How do you measure it? Is it like is it very qualitative or quantitative? Like, how do you determine success to actually move them into the core? I imagine they're going into the SMB team. How do you transition them into that? Um, okay. Well, actually, something kind of interesting is we used to. We used to go this specific path of Agoji, then they go on the SMB, then they go into corporate, and then they move their way up. Sure. But the, the problem with that is actually like once they get to the enterprise team, they've been an SDR for a year, mm-hmm. and the AE team wants them on their team. And so what we've done instead is like after people are done with the Agoji, we'll put them on the SMB team, or like certain people will put right onto enterprise oh. or right onto commercial, right out of the Agoji. 
and um, and that's worked out pretty well for us. So, so from a just from a one, one little caveat there. Yeah, I was gonna say that's quite. So from the people that you're actually bringing into the Agoji program, like are they fresh graduates that tend to come into that, or is it usually like second jobbers or people that have a bit more experience in the SDR function? And where do you see outreach? Where do you see the the success? Is it usually fresh grads, or is it usually them second second jobbers you're looking to to take? Yeah, good question. So it's it is all over the map. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will say when we one interesting thing that we learned at outreach early on was when we started out, it's we were we were excited because we were like we were outreach, we were a sales tech company, salespeople wanted to come, we we're growing really fast. And so we could afford to bring a lot of people on that were taking maybe were willing to take a step back. Maybe they had been an AE, but they'll go and they'll be an SDR for a little bit to go work at outreach. And so we had that kind of cool opportunity. And um, eventually, though, we were growing so fast that we we kind of had to take some new grads on and take people with less experience to see how it goes. And they ended up doing great. And so it really widened the pool of where we can hire from. Actually, a lot of times new grads will outperform. But yeah, so new grads, also people that used to be in retail, mm-hmm. Um, like people that used to work at Nordstrom, for example, um, are can be very good. People that have been in recruiting or people that have been in some other job mm-hmm. have been really good. What's really important though is that they've done something in their life where they've like like been in the top 10% of something, like where they've done something competitive. And it's like a lot of people think of athletes when you say competitive, but I don't care if they're athletes. I don't care if they're into karate. I don't care if they're into chess. Yes, I don't care if they're into stamp collecting. Like if they've been in the top 10% of something before, I want to talk to that person. Um, because at the end of the day, it's like, okay, how do you figure this out? How do you get yourself into the to be a top performer? And anyway. yeah, I was gonna say from a that's kind of leading to my next question around kind of the recruitment side of it. Like, how do you identify and how do you limit that pool? Because I imagine you get hundreds of applicants for outreach. Like, how do you filter out those people initially? Like, what are you looking for as core attributes? And when it comes through to the interview phase, is there anything? Aside from kind of that being the top 10%, what's like the key things that you're looking for? Yeah, we have we have a few screens. We're fortunate that we do get a lot of people applying now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll have we'll have a screen with our um, with HR. We do we do one of those tests, one of those so like assessments. Tests. Yeah. And that's actually been pretty good for us as far as like kind of filtering out people that um, that could be good. It's especially cool because sometimes it will say someone's from a background we've never seen before, right? Like, so if, if I've worked with someone who's been great at Nordstrom, I know, okay, I kind of know that that can work out, but there might be someone from some background that we've never heard of before. And those, those assessments that you can get can kind of say, Hey, there might be some gold here in this area where you might have not have even known about. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's a pretty strict test. Most people don't pass it. So um, then that will filter down a little bit and then um, then we'll get to the in-person interviews and then, yeah. But that's kind of how we filter out the, out the huge volume at yeah, the very beginning. Really interesting. Okay, Sam, so I saw your, your history of being an SDR. You hit 159% when you were, you're in that position. Like, how did you achieve that? Like, if any SDRs are listening today, like, how do you hit those kind of numbers and overachieve on quotas? Such such a significant number. Yeah. So, well, it would be a few things. I would say like every month was a little bit different. Like early on in a company, um, 
things are changing all the time. It's like, you've got a new leader. We've got like the goals have changed. The criteria has changed. And so I really felt like every month was a little bit different. And so it's really hard to get all that tactical because it would like be, it would depend on the month, but I'll say some things overall is, um, I mean, I got into sales development because I saw it as the most useful skill I could learn. Um, if, let me back up a little bit. Before I started at Outreach, I had started a, a startup with my buddy. Okay. And we, um, it did not become the billion dollar company that we hoped. He got a job at Google and it, and it kind of, it's still around, but it did not become a billion dollar company. What I did learn in that experience though, is that there was no skill I was more excited to learn than generating cold outbound opportunities. Like for a startup, like, yeah, if you can sling code, if you can write code, yeah, I would say that's, that's still the top skill. Behind that though, if you can start, if you can generate cold opportunities where there's previously nothing, that's a real close second. And so for me, like I wanted to learn that. So I'll say some things that really helped me is number one, I was very excited about the skill set I was developing. I think a lot of SDRs that come in, they're like, oh yeah, it's cool. We can make a hundred grand. Um, we can be an AE pretty soon. But for me, more, I was more excited about the actual skill set than anything else. And a lot of SDRs don't understand exactly how valuable that is. If they ever want to start a company someday, if that's on their bucket list, or if they, it actually applies to like, like everything. So um, I was very excited about that. Also, I was, I just was new. I wanted to be the number one SDR. I was like, I know, like if I'm going into a sales role and I'm going to be stack ranked, if I can be like the number one SDR, it's going to be very good for my career. And so for me, it was like, that's, that's the only thing that's okay. Like, and if that's hard, I'm just going to work harder. And it was just like, I kind of saw that as my only option. I'm not sure it was perfectly healthy all the time, but I was very motivated to be the number one SDR. And that really helped. The other thing was I asked a lot of questions. I worked really, really hard. And I know those aren't that exciting of answers, but that's kind of really, that's how it was. And I was going to say, it's probably, I think it's pretty, hard. pretty common. People say grit and determination and work ethic is really the key driver. One thing I'm, I, I was reading a little bit about you, Sam, online and saw that um, you talk about like core reluctance and sales guys not being able to pick up the phone. Like how integral is it? You spoke about cold outbound how integral is it that you are confident on the phone and you do get over that initial hurdle and as a manager when someone joins outreach like how do you how do you instill that confidence in them so that they actually can pick up the phone speak to a ceo and and convey your your company's message yeah well it's critical because if they don't pick up the phone they're going to plateau at about half of their potential right and what can happen is new sdrs will come in a lot of times they'll come to a company who has a reduced quota and they'll say, you know what? I've done this all through emailing and I'm hitting my reduced quota through emailing. And so everything's fine. Mm -hmm. But in reality, when you hit your full quota, you are going to have a much harder time if you are not picking up the phone. So highly recommend that for anyone out there. As a manager, we've tried a few different things. Like we make that very clear up front. And, um, and I've talked about before, we do like this, we do this pizza sales thing. I talked about that before. I've seen that. Is that where you um you make them cold call? Is it cold call in a pizza joint or something? Yeah. Well, no. Well, what we have them do is they come in, and I mean it's it's shifted a little bit with COVID. Though I have to give a huge shout out to Caitlin Kelly in the UK. She has kept this alive all through COVID. But like, so when I'm an SDR, I'm SDR manager, the new SDRs would come in. They're all kind of nervous. Um, you know, they look at each other. They're trying to look cool, right? So you come into a room. It's your first day, and we'll give them a list. 
and they'll have a phone. And we say, okay, we're going to sell pizzas. We're going to cold call strangers and we're going to sell them pizzas. And the cool thing about cold calling people and selling them pizzas is that it is very hard. Nobody says yes. Right? <laughs> so they're calling small businesses and trying to sell them pizzas. And the, and the point is really to get them a really high exposure to rejection really quick. Okay, so we're calling like small businesses. So they're going to connect all the time. They're going to get rejected like 20 times in a row, right? Occasionally, like there's always like someone that somehow like sells a pizza. And it's actually really impressive. But if they do, then then they're the winners. But if nobody sells a pizza, that's that's not the point. Like it's whoever gets rejected the most times. We're trying to get them used to get them used to that experience of getting rejected. And so their first day at outreach, they have the most awkward cold calling experience of their entire life. Right. You're the whole bunch of strangers, your future coworkers, your future friends, and you are cold calling strangers, selling pieces and people are rejecting you. You're constantly rejected for like this super awkward cold call. And when we do that up front, you realize, even though this is the most awkward cold calling experience you've ever had, you realize it's not that bad. Right. And so it's like exposure therapy. You get used to it. It's not that bad. The worse you are at it, the funnier it is. So in a weird way, you're better at it. And so anyway, that's one way we'll try to highlight that up front. Okay, spend a lot of time on that. That's one little thing that we'll do. We'll explain that's really important. The other thing that's been really useful for us is we just we just outlaw fully automated sequences. So like with a sequence, you are structuring a series of touch points for when you're doing outbound. And so with new SDRs, we just say, okay, the only sequences you're doing are ones with calls. And so you can't do your work without doing calls. And that, I mean, I suppose they could try to fake it. This can be very obvious when you are going to get the wrath of your manager. So we pretty much just set it up to where you can't miss out on cold calls and you can't be successful in Neogoji without nailing the cold calling aspect of, of the job. Yeah, and so I think that's the longer you leave it going through that initiation, that's probably the fear factor just builds up, right? Of cold calling. Oh, yeah. It's so, oh my gosh. When you're, when you're, when it becomes, when time passes, it's like fixing a messed up golf swing, right? Like it's way easier to get this right up front than to like have a mess it up and then try to fix a messed up golf swing later. So yeah, we really want to to hammer this home early on in their career. Interesting. Okay, so I've got a question. Like obviously you guys are outreach your specialities like sequencing and cadences. Like how do you support your SDR team from a cadence perspective? Do you have designated reps that are compiling messaging for the cadences or do you kind of leave that down to the autonomy of the reps as to how they go to market and actually do um yeah how they put across the outreach message okay i'm glad you asked that question so we don't have individual reps making sequences and some people it, and the reason for that is we design our sequences so that it maximizes their customization or their autonomy so like i don't know they're like race car drivers they're not building race cars we want to spend as we want them to spend as much time as possible on sales activity and so we have a sequence like the sequence structure is the egoji sequence if anyone wants to look it up and what it does is it takes the customization and personalization that the sdr has done and then the sequence is designed to just milk that as much as possible so it milks it like 10 different times and if someone is successful using that sequence it means that they have been successful with their customization and with the way that they're executing their calls. And so um, 
SDRs don't need to be making kind of reinventing the wheel on sequences. We just have a sequence that maximizes their success and their sales activity. So we have we have a few sequences. We have someone who's in charge of that. Though we don't we don't change them up all that much. We definitely A/B test, but SDRs have like a few sequences that they'll use for kind of their high priority prospects and then a few for other situations, but we don't overwhelm them. It's like a small amount of sequences that they'll use for, uh, for the prospects they reach out to. Interesting. So in terms of the sequences then, have you got, is it literally just like the top elements, the personalization aspect, and then you've got kind of a, a message that they take, or are you really making sure the whole message that you're putting across is personalized? Mm -hmm. Good question. So we just do personalization up front at the beginning. Okay. And there are a few reasons for that. Okay. So there's, there are some, oh, how should I say, like some cliches or some platitudes in sales that sound really good, but don't actually fit in every situation. Like, and one of those is personalized every touch. That sounds really good. And a lot of people say that and they repeat it. And it's like, okay, that seems like that would make sense. The problem is like in a sequence, if you personalize in every touch, it is going to take you five to 10 times as long to execute that sequence. And the downside to that is you can only reach out to a fifth or one tenth as many people. And that's usually not optimal. And so what we'll do is we will do personalization upfront and then we'll design a sequence to maximize that as much as possible. And so it, and it's just, if you do personalization upfront and the prospects will make it so like we'll milk that personalization like 10 different times. If the prospect isn't responding to that, maybe personalization isn't the right thing for them. And so we'll we'll try something else. But um, we will we will do that up front. I guess okay. is the short answer. And from like a day-to-day -day perspective, then for the reps, like in terms of that personalization that they're taking, you said you milk it over 10 times. Are, yeah. are they storing that in the CRM and then outreaches and pulling that data into the cadences as um, separate fields? Like how, how do you get that regurgitation of the um, personalization? Yeah, okay, so usually I explain this with visuals. I'll, I'll do this auditorily the best way that I can. So you'll do your personalization in the first email, and then we'll set up the sequence to do reply emails. There'll be two reply emails. And what those do is those will reply to the first one. And it will be, if the person doesn't reply to the first email, it will be something like, hey, just want to make sure you got this. It'll be like one line that is drawing attention to that first email for a second time. And this is another thing where it sounds like, this sounds really stupid. This is against what all of the thought leaders say, but here's what's funny about it is that it works really well. <laughs> we'll actually get a high response rate on those, and we'll run that play again. We'll do this two times. We'll get a high response rate on those reply emails, then we'll get on the person personalized email that took all of the time in the first place. So that's where we will benefit from it three different times. And that's why I say like, if someone hasn't responded in those three different times, maybe personalization is just not what gets this person's attention. And so we'll do something more automated later on. It also saves us a ton of time and we can put multiple times more people in sequence. Also, when you do that personalization up front in the first email, you that is available to you when you are using outreach. Like if you are cold calling someone, you can click on the emails tab in outreach and see what that was. And so when you do your cold calls, 
you can open up with that personalization that you did that first time without having to spend extra time. So that's where you can kind of benefit from it 10 different times without any extra work. Interesting. Okay. So it sounds like you've really geared up your SDR function should make it as efficient as possible to make sure that they're getting the activity and doing the metrics. So what kind of, what is your expectation? I think when I speak to sales leaders, are you very activity driven uh, outreach where you've got very clear KPIs in terms of the number of calls that they have to do, number of emails that are sent out, or are you very measured on output? Like how do you, how do you do that balance? Uh, well, I would say number one is what they are quoted on and what they're compensated on. So uh, that is number one. Okay. As far as like other KPIs, we do have a call number, though. I don't even know if I want to say the specific number because it is really different for every company. We have like an, we have like an auto dialer that helps us, mm -hmm. right? Like one of those outsourced dialer things. And so like a dial test probably isn't going to translate directly either to other companies. Sure. Um, but we do have a dial number. And then we'll also have a number that we'll put into our high priority sequences. So we will put our SDRs will put 20 people a day into a sequence with a structure that I talked about earlier, where they'll do that personalization and we'll kind of go through that process. So we'll put 20 in a day. And it's pretty important to stay consistent there. Like if you try to put a hundred in beginning of the week, then it's like, okay, now I've got to write a hundred emails today. And then there's no activities the next day. And you get like the sine wave of activity that you just can't keep up on. So keeping it consistent, like 20 days actually is pretty important. Okay. And you spoke about, so say the team achieves that 20 per day, achieve their target. Like what is the, what are you measuring the reps on? Are you measuring it on conversations started? Are you measuring it on meetings booked, qualified opportunities? Like how, what do you envision? Like you, you've been, you're one of the leaders in the SDR space. Like what is the best structure that organizations can put to make sure that they get the maximum output from their reps? Okay. Well, okay. So for us, for most teams, it's going to be some version of qualified meetings held with the AE, meaning they set a meeting with a prospect, that meeting is held between that prospect and the AE, and then the account executive accepts that into their pipeline. They accept that meeting. So that is basically what, what our SDRs are quoted on. I would say that's not I think that's a very good way to do it. For teams that are just barely starting out or teams that are startups, it might be better to keep it just qualified meetings held between SDR and AE. Because there's going to be, you might not know like what that qualification criteria is yet. And you've got to, you got to figure that out. So do qualified meetings held? And if things aren't turning into pipeline, figure out why, figure out, can the SDR qualify that out up front? Mm -hmm. Is it something that we could have looked for and could have prevented this meeting? Should we be looking for someone else? So for newer companies, a good starting point is often just qualified meetings held. And that qualify that qualification criteria gets adjusted as you get more and more familiar with who you should be uh, reaching out to. I'd say so if an organization is looking, say they're predominantly an SMB business at the moment and they're looking to break out into mid-market enterprise, do you would you encourage a different qualification process for your SMB team as opposed to your mid-market team? Or are you trying to keep it very, very consistent in, in its approach? I would say, I would say it's probably going to be pretty similar. Like the strategy to reach out to SMB is going to be very different than a bigger company, sure. but the qualification criteria is typically pretty similar. Like there'll definitely, 
the exceptions when you get into enterprise, but those differ so much based on the persona and the product. Um, but it just really depends. But I would say up to like, like SMB mid-market, um, which for a few, when it gets up to a few hundred employees, I would say you can probably keep it pretty similar okay. and be great and do great. Interesting. Okay. So obviously outreach has scaled drastically over, over the last year. And obviously you need uh, SDR managers to, to kind of take some of the responsibility. So at what scale would you say is a, a good time to start looking to add an additional SDR manager to a team as you're scaling up your business? Is it quantity of reps that you're managing? Is it like, what, what would be your kind of precursors to that? Interesting. I would say probably once you get, once you get, maybe at like 12 reps if a manager's at like 12 reps maybe it's time to split them up that's interesting <laughs> you're and starting out and when so when you moved as outreach has grown right do you do you tend to hire them externally or is it predominantly internal people that you're taking to to kind of evolve and bring them into that outreach outreach family okay good good question it we will we will try to do it internally if we can vast majority are internal hires we've we have had external hires that have been very successful mm -hmm. but internal hires are awesome if we can get them that's going to be our first choice okay if there is an internal hire that is is ready we want them as number one but here's the problem with that is also those really high performing sdrs tend to be very good at aes as well <laughs> like yeah and so there is a huge there's a little bit of a supply and demand imbalance like once you have a big team you've got a big sdr team people who are good sdrs are probably going to be a good sdr manager if they want to do that they're probably going to be good ae if they want to do that they're probably going to be fantastic in marketing if they want to do that though typically they don't um and so, so yeah we've got so we've got so that may be true, but here's the thing is companies are expected to like a lot of these companies are expected to like double headcount every year. Mm. So there just aren't a good enough good SDRs to go around. And so that creates a little bit of a, a trouble. Like even if you ideally want to do everyone internally, you're expected to be on a growth trajectory where that's just not possible in a lot of cases. So it's a balance. But I would say that ideally most companies find that internal SDRs are good fits for next roles actually yeah. like last week i did this poll on linkedin where i said hey who tends to perform better like sdrs who are promoted to ae or outside hires mm. and 90 percent of people said that the sdrs outperformed the outside hires in the ae segment despite them not having previous ae experience which is pretty crazy yeah it's pretty insane actually i think there's some really interesting implications for that but um but yeah, internal hires, priority number one, in my opinion. So as an SDR manager, obviously that's kind of the wheelhouse for the organization, like SDRs being dished out to every every other department, AEs, et cetera. What do you encourage them to go into? Like, is it a very linear pro progression path for outreach where it's you're an SDR for a year, you move into AE, or do you kind of encourage them to spread out into other divisions of the business products, et cetera? Like, have you seen any really good success stories? Yeah, we've, well, when SDRs first come in, we'll, we're, we tell them we've had SDRs go into every part of this organization, every, well, certainly every, every customer facing part of the organization, none have gone from SDR to like slinging code, but we have had 
past previous SDRs be um, product managers at outreach. And so um, SDRs can go to every part of the organization. We make that clear up front. Most will want to be an account executive because it pays the most. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know why. I suspect that has something to do with it. No, I'm sure. They, we pay, sure. We pay very well. And they and, every, and also like every SDR has been successful going to AE. So they know they're going to be successful at AE. Mm -hmm. um, and they know that they're going to make a very good salary. And so that is the most common. And you said you always you tend to promote internally when there's when there's a demand. When does that training start to actually progress someone into the next role? Is that when they're in the SDR role? Do you give them foundational training so when opportunities arise, they're ready? Or is it very much dependent when the role's open, they're in, kind of get to it straight away when first day of that role? Yeah, it's a, it's a mixture. It's a mixture of both. Um, and, it's, and it's evolved. What's something that's kind of interesting is when we first... Um, when we first started promoting SDRs to AE, they had like no training <laughs> at all, no AE yep. training before they made the jump. All, all we knew about these SDRs was they were top performing SDRs. That's all the information we had. They'd never, you know, never closed before. They didn't have really much training at all until they got into that AE role. And even so, they just crushed it. <laughs> so a lot of, I mean, a lot of what tends to make SDR successful, certainly at our organization, is it's the same intangibles that make them successful as an SDR, make them able to, even though it's a different skill set, make them able to develop that skill set very quickly and be successful as an AE. So we do, we do have a, but we now have a program where we'll help them kind of get used to discovery calls and we'll get them mentored up. And um, that transition is not as stark and as hacky as it used to be. Um, but yeah, I, a lot of times SDRs will ask, like, what should I do to prepare to be an AE? And there, there are some good things you can do. I would argue, number one, is just be really good as an SDR. Like, if you're a top-performing SDR, there's a very good chance you're going to be a top-performing AE. So be careful to not get too distracted in the transition. Uh, you don't want to drop the ball when you are kind of at the end of your SDR tenure. Exactly, exactly. So, Sam, also you created, I believe you created the EgoU sequence. Back yeah. in the day, yeah. Back in the day. Ago. So this is my question. So do you think this will still have relevance, say, three or four years from now? Um, or do you think there's going to be a shift? Have you seen any shifts that you think might might be V2 version in next year or the year after? That, okay, so it's really interesting because when I published the Agoji sequence, um, by the way, I had no idea it would become as popular as it did. I published that. I was like, I was actually on vacation and I was like, eating pizza and <laughs> at this place. And we, I like made it in like a half hour and it's now like become just like insanely popular. Right? <laughs> I had no idea. I probably would have made sure there weren't so many errors in it if I knew it was going to get so much exposure. <laughs> um, but, but my expectation was always that the Agoji sequence, it works insanely well right now. This isn't going to work well forever. So I figured like in a year, it was not going to work as well. Um, and I didn't even know that like all of our customers were going to start using it too. So it's not just us, but it's like all our customers. And um, so it's been very, very heavily used. But here's the thing that's interesting is it hasn't stopped working. Like, it's working as well or better than it ever did. And so like, and actually like our, 
our success rates on the structure um, are, are better than they were before and even though other people are using it. So I would not be at all surprised if it continues to work for another three or four years. I think that kind of the copy that you'll use within it Mm-hmm. Well, people will need to adjust that. Um, there, I'm sure there will be adaptations, but it has lasted a lot longer than I expected. And so, oh, who knows? Maybe it'll keep going for for more years. And it's really, I think it's so interesting because I think it's the foundational pillars, right? In terms of, there's only so many ways you can connect to a prospect. I think maybe one thing, Sam, that's maybe not apparent in the go use sequence, I'll be interested to get your take on, is like direct mail. Like, where, where do you see direct mail playing having a part in? Um, like the SDR world of initiating conversations? Do you think there's a place for it? Do you think it's a bit of a bit of a buzz or uh, do you think it'll be here for the long run? Oh, well, I, and I don't think that necessarily, I think that could fit into the Egoji sequence. Like right at the very beginning, the strategy is you want to reach out from every channel possible, right? Call, voicemail, email, LinkedIn. We're just like reaching out in every way possible. If you layer direct mail into that, it would be the exact same strategy and I think it'd be really effective and so um I don't think that necessarily I think that can fit right into the Egoji sequence strategy interesting okay so Sam what what do you see the role of actually one thing I did want to ask about was um inbound versus outbound um you touched on earlier that you've got that separation like what is the justification for for doing that because I know a lot of organizations are kind of pairing up the two and in terms of the expertise of individuals you've got on inbound is that a more junior role than what it is to an outbound rep or is it pretty comparable in terms of experience and pay, et cetera? It's, it's different. And inbound, by the way, inbound is not going to be my specialty. Mm-hmm. I've never, I haven't been too involved on the inbound side of things. Um, but the inbound team, they'll handle a lot more volume. And since people are coming in, as like demo requests, like the compensation per meeting set is, is, is very different than it would be for outbound. And what else? Um, and also, like, we're account-based. And so SDRs have a list of accounts. And so if an SDR has been reaching out to a certain account and that person reaches out, goes and does a demo request instead of reaching out to their email, we'll send that over to the outbound SDR. Right? We, wouldn't, we wouldn't take that away from them. And so um, that's kind of how we divide it up. and. Yeah, we have many more outbound SDRs than inbound SDRs. Inbound SDRs, you, you know, super high volume, crazy high okay. volume compared to the outbound. Interesting. And from the outbound perspective, are they supported by marketing? So you said you listed your accounts you're going after from SMB, mid-enterprise or strategic. Um, does marketing support you in your efforts in breaking into them accounts? And what have you found to be successful between that relationship? Yeah, I would say we're very heavily outbound. The vast majority of our pipeline comes from comes from cold outbound prospecting. We do, I mean, marketing does do things and we'll get leads from them. Um, how many meetings come directly from those? I'm not exactly sure, but I would say the vast majority of our pipeline generated does come from uh, cold outbound. If, if, you go, if you can, what proportion have you got? Like, I think that'd be interesting for... For the listeners, like, is it over over fifty percent? Is it is it higher than that? Like, because that's pretty. A lot of organisations I speak to salespeople every day, and actually having that emphasis on cold outbound is not usually the norm, right? It's usually marketing inbound reliance. So it's I think it's quite quite unique. Yeah, I would I would say it's I would say it's over fifty percent. 
very cool very very cool okay um you took early on it was like 89 percent. pardon like a little bit ago like early on it was about yeah it was like 89 percent of our pipeline let's call that back wow interesting so, and how are you how from an account identification standpoint is it you yourself as managers that are identifying the accounts to go after or are you kind of leaving that to the reps or is it the account executives that are defining the accounts we've at this point we pretty much know the accounts we want to go after okay and that's across so the earlier entire on, we're trying to figure that out at this point we've pretty much identified the accounts that we want to go after and so we just already know and we're just kind of moving those accounts around to new sdrs or off sdrs to get promoted that's great no thanks sam i suppose sam we're coming to the end of um the time that we've got so i suppose it would be really great just to um hear from you like is there what's the one thing you would say to our listeners today who are potential sdrs that um yeah could one bit of advice that you would give them okay for a new for a brand new sdr or for someone who's currently in the role let's go brand new let's go brand new sdr say they're a brand new sdr mm -hmm. okay so for a brand new sdr i would give a couple pieces of advice number one is i would recommend that you do exactly what your manager says for the first three months even if you don't think that they're right Okay, that's counterintuitive. And for me, that was really hard for me. I'm kind of a cowboy, but I'm so glad I did because it gives you a good foundation. And you'll find out later that maybe you were right about some of the things that you disagree with your manager on. Um, but in my case, I found out that most of those things that I thought were right, I was actually wrong on. Um, but you have no idea what's what. So just listen to your manager perfectly for those first three months. The next thing is be shameless about asking questions. Don't worry about looking stupid. Don't worry if like your manager has answered that question before and is going to expose you as not listening, whatever. Ask a lot of questions early on. There's an amazingly tight correlation between how many questions people ask and how successful they are. Um, and also work really hard early on. Like the key to work-life balance as an SDR is working insanely hard those first three months. Okay, because you develop the skill set early, you start doing good relative to other people. So in a year time frame, if you want the best work-life balance possible, work insanely hard those first three months. Counterintuitive, but that's the secret. That's how you do really, really well is working really hard up front. That's great advice, Sam. No, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. And um, yeah, hopefully we get to do something again. That was, that was really good. Thank you. You bet. Great to join you. Cheers.